my experience has been little moments um, of such like, you're okay. Mm. This is beautiful. Like, just keep going. Um, And it's like I've done, I've gotten the ability to do things that I never, ever thought I would be able to do, right? Jane and I'm Sierra and this is Detached. We're two women in our mid-20s who have a lot to say about literally everything. We try to focus on what we have learned through our emotional and spiritual growth. We're here to have open, vulnerable, and sometimes pretty hard conversations with each other. Just a reminder, we don't speak for any 12-step programs. All we have are our own stories to share. We are so excited to go on this journey with you all. Let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Detached. I am Sierra and um, Hannah Jane is not with us this week. She's in Utah, but I have a very special guest. Um, she's a very good friend of mine and just a badass human being. And I love her so much and I'm so grateful she decided to come on the podcast, especially as our first guest. Couldn't imagine a better guest um, to have. So, uh, Kara and I know each other from AA. That's how we met um, a little over a year ago, I think. And yeah, she just has, she's a wealth of knowledge and has so much wisdom. And I have learned so much from her over the last year. And I'm so grateful to have her in my life. So without further ado, <laughs> this is Kara. Do you want to talk about... Um, how you got to AA, sort of, you want to give your sobriety date, all that? Yeah. Hey, everyone. Um, my name is Kara. Um, my sobriety date is um, September 5th, 2015. Um, this is my first time on a podcast, and I am very grateful that my friend Sierra has asked me. And as you can imagine, it's also a little nerve-wracking, um, just because I've never done this before. So, But I'm really grateful um, to have the opportunity to be here with her today um, and get the opportunity to share some of my experience, strength, and hope with you guys. Um, so, yeah, where it all started. Um, well, um, I guess I'll just kind of start at the beginning. Um I was born, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> well, I was born on March 30th, 1992. Um, no, but seriously. So I actually, I grew up on um, the East Coast. I grew up on a tiny little place, um, Cape Cod. It's actually growing pretty uh, rapidly at this point, which is kind of cool. But um, back when I grew up there, it was it was very like small town vibes. Um, my dad actually was a um, captain on a boat, and um, my mom was a stay at home mom. And um, my dad was gone um, a lot of the time. He was usually gone like three weeks out of the year. And um, so pretty much growing up, like my mom and my grandma raised me, um, and then. At the time, my dad was actually um, an alcoholic, and that's kind of how I got introduced to um, Alcoholics Anonymous, which is um, the program that I identify with. And um, yeah, so he he was drinking a lot um, when I was a kid, and so basically my childhood was um, kind of a lot of like 
sadness for a kid, you know? Um, it was a lot of like, you know, um, putting on putting on the mask, right? You know, because my family was like very, uh, very Catholic growing up and um, they would have us go to church. And then, you know, before church, my dad would be like, drinking right and um and then after church he would be drinking too but we would go and put on this face um and kind of like mask emotions right and um yeah so when did you start drinking using like how old were you yeah i I was like pretty um, young when I had my first drink. Um, wasn't the youngest. I mean, you hear a lot of people that are like, oh, I had a sip of alcohol at eight years old. <laughs> um, that was not yeah. my experience. Yeah. Um, my experience was I believe I was like 13 or 14 because like I said, growing up in a home with an active alcoholic and just seeing the devastating damage that's caused by that, right? Like just the self-centeredness, you know, I I think I was like five years old and I told myself that, wow, I don't want to be like my dad, right? Mm-hmm. Like I never want to drink like that. And so it kind of kept me away from it, even though others, like I said, growing up mm-hmm. in a small town, right? There right. were those people yeah. who were like eight, nine, 10 yeah. drinking, wow. right? So um, my first drink was around 13 or 14. It's still pretty young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is yeah. in the in the AA rooms. Maybe not so much, but I think from for a normies perspective, it's pretty young still. So. That's true. Yeah. Always forget about the normies, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, thirteen or fourteen, um, and it's kind of just like we learn in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, right? That. When we start drinking, it's like the allergy is set off immediately. And that was like, that was my experience with my first drink. Um, I remember. Do you want to talk about what the allergy is? I don't think our listeners necessarily know what that means. Um, so yeah, in terms of like how AA describes that. Yeah. Um, also, I will do the best um, to my ability to explain things. I I'm definitely not a big book thumper or um, anyone like that. So I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. But pretty much in AA, um, in the doctor's opinion, in the big book, we learn that this disease, um, which it is a disease, it's an illness. Um, we have a spiritual malady, um, right? And that's followed by a physical allergy to alcohol. And so it's kind of like if somebody has a peanut allergy, they're going to have a reaction, right? Except they're probably going to use an EpiPen or maybe go to the hospital or urgent care, right? And for us, it's like what that means is that when I start drinking, when I have that first sip of alcohol and it touches my lips and goes down my throat, I do not know what's going to happen, right? I'm not going to be able to stop drinking on my own or using drugs on my own. That's a great explanation. Thank you for that. Yeah, of course. So, um, okay, so then from there, so you started drinking and sort of what what followed with that? Like, how did it feel the first time you drank? Like, you know, I know for me it was like, oh, this is it. Like, this is how I've been wanting to feel. Like, Mm -hmm. this is like I fit in doing this. Like, I just all the anxiety, everything sort of just like melted away when I took that first drink. How was that for you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head, right? right? Like that is exactly my experience, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, 
as a kid, like I was pretty nerdy, you know, mm-hmm. like I got hand-me-down clothes. I came from, you know, a pretty poor family, right? Like, and a lot of kids like made fun of me and, you know, I had like a a learning disability, right? Mm -hmm. And so that was like another area I got made fun of. And I remember in that moment, it's like, I, well, first of all, I had no idea how to drink. Like, you know, who, like, I also Mm -hmm. don't know who does know how to drink, (laughs) but like, you know, maybe like a beer or like a mixed drink, right? Mm -hmm. And I was just like, no, I'm just gonna try and be cool and like drink this whole bottle of tequila, like right off the bat, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I just remember like opening the bottle And, like, having the bottle touch my lips and this, like, burning sensation, right? And this sensation that felt so, like, home, like, comfort, like, none of that stuff mattered anymore. And it was, like, a feeling of, like, wow, I'm going to do this forever. And I felt, like, set free, right? Mm -hmm. Because I just... I could not seem to have the space in my mind to just have it be quiet. I was, like... Mm -hmm this is wrong with me. This is what you think is wrong with me. These are all the other things that you could point out about me, right? It was just that self-centered thinking. Mm -hmm. um, And that was just flushed away, Mm -hmm. right? And it was just with a sip, Mm -hmm. right? Just with a sip. Yep. No, I can uh, fully relate to that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So from there, then when do you feel like it started becoming a problem? Like, did you know, did you have sort of consequences as a result of your drinking or how how did it progress from there Ooh, yeah um (laughs) if you can summarize that (laughs) yeah so there was there was a lot of consequences um i i won't jump too far ahead um but really i mean that night was a consequence Mm -hmm. right because like i said in that moment it's like that allergy was set off in my body. Like my my body, I just lost control, right? And I really did almost drink that whole bottle of tequila, right? And how scary and frightening that was for everyone around me. You know, I don't remember anything, but the morning I woke up and people were like, Kara, like you were awesome. You were so awesome. But also we were like afraid you were gonna die and that we needed to bring you <laughs> To the hospital, you know, yeah. and because I, this is so gross, I'm sorry, but I like woke up and I had throw up all over this room. Like, I feel so bad for these people. And it was a white rug. And like, somehow I like pretty much threw up like a whole pizza crust. Like, I don't, I like, I really like, I have a lot of questions still that will never be answered with that. But, but so I would say really, it's like, <laughs> I know it's so bad. And that was my biggest worry. I was like, whoa, like, did I really throw up that pizza crust? Like, what? And meanwhile, everybody was like, we could have brought you to the hospital. Like, we thought you had alcohol poisoning. Yeah, right. You know? So I would say that the first night, like, there already was consequences. Mm -hmm. Right. Right? Yeah. Okay. Well, so let's see. Um, Do you want to just keep talking about how how it kept going? or, Or maybe were there any sort of stand out things to you like I I know throughout my journey I had let's just call them red flags about myself um you know especially when I was younger in high school and then in college you know where there there were a, a number of situations where I was like 
like maybe this is a problem, but like I cannot envision myself not drinking. So I'm just gonna like ignore this completely. But looking back, I do know that those were things that were like, whoa, this is not normal behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, so is that your experience at all? Yeah, that's, I mean, I love how you used red flags, right? (laughs) Um, Because that's just a perfect way (laughs) to like describe it. Um, And in the moment, it's like you see these flags, but it's like, well, this feels so good, though, that why would I even question Mm -hmm. those flags, right? And then we come into sobriety and it's like, oh my (laughs) gosh, yeah, all of the red flags, right? Um, and I think there was there was definitely a lot of them. Um, you know, like I said, growing up in a small town, it was a really, really big party town, right? Fisherman town. Everybody drank. Everybody did drugs. There was a very large amount of drugs that were coming onto the coast, you know, from Boston and other areas, right? So there was always a surplus of that. And that's a big part of my journey and my experience. And Um, I think really like the red flags, like you had mentioned, were, um, you know, saying that I wouldn't drink, right? Like I wasn't going to turn out like my dad. And it's like, there I was doing exactly the same stuff that my dad was doing, right? And I think in high school, like the red flags were essentially like, you know, me bringing my own alcohol to a party because I was afraid that there wasn't going to be enough alcohol for me. And then also bringing nips to the party because why would I want to share my alcohol with you people? Like, I didn't like you that much, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then, you know, like my brother, he, uh, he had a really, really bad drug problem. And so from a young age, I also said, I'm never going to be like him. Like, I will never, ever... Put something in my nose stick a needle in my arm I will never ever be like that and um you know I can remember specifically like the first night that I did illicit mm-hmm. drugs mm-hmm. right and that feeling of again I have arrived like this is what has been missing and that's a that is a really big red flag to me mm-hmm. right like that is just it's changing my whole like moral compass in a split second Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. so I think that like those were the big ones in high school and I think they got bigger Mm -hmm. and bigger right and bigger Mm -hmm. over time so when you say you know that the red flags got bigger and bigger are there any ones you know that maybe stood out at all or that were sort of catastrophic in a way you know that are really like memorable to you yeah, um, there's there's definitely like quite a few um, that come to mind when I think about that. Um, you know, as I feel like as an alcoholic, um, you know, a big piece of alcoholism is like needing to be like loved, right? Like it's just this like deep desire of I need to feel important um and like I said loved and um there was quite a few times that um I put myself in um positions to be harmed right and I, and I truly believe that um any type of like you know assault or like sexual assault like that is not like I don't play a role in that um but I do to this day believe that my 
innate desire to be like loved and seen put me in a place that I wouldn't have been Mm -hmm. if maybe I wasn't an alcoholic or I didn't have that like deep deep like hole in my soul you know and so when I think about that like specifically like when I was um 16 years old like I put myself in a position um that I like was sexually assaulted and Mm -hmm. um you know, like, I think that in itself, like, I mean, that's really painful, right? And I think that that um, really, really escalated my alcoholism and my wanting to escape and, like, the pain and suffering that comes with that. And, um, you know, just going back to, like, the red flags, right? It's, I mean, that's definitely a big one that has played a big part in my journey. And a lot of that involved me dating abusive men Mm -hmm. and men that I would never, ever, ever date in sobriety, Mm -hmm. right? And going back to that, like, lowering of the moral compass, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I, it just didn't matter. Like, if you're going to, you know, be there, right, Um, then I'll Mm -hmm. take you, Mm -hmm. kind of. Um, And so with that, I mean... Uh, like the list can go on and on of more stuff right and I think over time it's like yeah man most kids have fake IDs right Mm -hmm. that's that's valid you know Mm -hmm. um and just a real quick funny story about that I my first fake ID (laughs) was this ID uh and her name was Heather Nisbet she was from Rhode Island I'm like five nine and you know, I've been pretty tall, and uh, she was like five foot, right? Um, okay. So, sorry, that just came to my mind, right? Um, but, you know, when alcohol became more accessible. Uh, <laughs> yep, I also had one, too. Um, sorry, not to not to cut you off, but I my first fake ID, it was um, said that I lived in Chicago, and um, this is very embarrassing, but I did not know that Illinois, you say Illinois, not Illinois. <laughs> so I would literally hand my ID to like the, the person at Walmart and they'd be like, oh, like you're from Chicago. I'd be like, yeah, Illinois. Oh my God. It also said I was 26 when I was 19 years old. Mm. So that... Don't know how how that passed. Um, I think it was the false uh, confidence that drinking gave me. So, yeah. Anyways, back to your story. I just had to share the Illinois. <laughs> when you said that, I just yeah. thought about, oh, the gift of makeup when you have a fake uh, yes, ID, right? Exactly. <laughs> I know. I don't even know how I... Yeah, it's just ridiculous. But <laughs> I love that. It did have my picture on it and stuff. It was totally, wow. yes. Oh, was it one of those like illegal ones yes, from China? Yes, oh, it was. Yeah. Okay, yep. I remember those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I was not 19. I was like 16, my first fake ID. Mm. Then I got another one later down the road. Mm. But the first one when I was 16, it said I was 10 years older than I was. <laughs> Yes, from Illinois. Okay, yes. Oh my back gosh. to your back to what you were saying. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, I mean, a big thing was that needing to be loved, and you know, dating men that were not good men, mm-hmm. and um, 
yeah, I, <laughs> I dated my, I dated this guy that I had met at an after hours club. I used to go to this after hours club called Rise in Boston. Um, you know, because it's like when you're an alcoholic, you got to keep going. Mm-hmm. And I like <laughs> loved, loved house music. And this place had two different floors and usually two different DJs. And I met this guy and he was, you know, he was like one of those guys that was like shuffling. Right. And I was just <laughs> like, oh, my God, I'm in love. And I moved this guy in with me three weeks later. Oh yeah. Wow. Um, so red flag. Yeah. Right. Um, and, you know, ended up finding out that he was a pretty big drug dealer mm-hmm. in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, again, it was like, yes. OK, like this is a win. Like yeah. I get this really mm-hmm. attractive guy who can party like me um, and also can supply me. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, right. And with that, it's like there's so so many situations um you know that occurred from that and I I remember specifically it's like when you have somebody supplying you so easily and readily right like there is no there's no off button Mm -hmm. you know it's like not sleeping for days right um and mixing different different drugs right Mm -hmm. uppers and downers and alcohol and all of it um and just like you know, the, the stuff that comes with that. I, at the time I was, um, working at a place in Boston and I was a food runner and I was making like a lot of money and, um, you know, like it, it wasn't, it just wasn't important enough. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I would show up to work on no sleep. And I remember that one time specifically, like I, (laughs) I, uh, yeah, I hadn't slept at all and I had done like drugs for like three days straight mm-hmm. um and um saw like the shadow people right <laughs> at work yeah. you know we all hear about <laughs> the shadow people and um this place was like fancy I mean a steak like a filet was like minimum 65 bucks right Ooh. uh <laughs> yes um and I didn't know what that life was like mm-hmm. right like I'd never had anything that expensive before yeah. but Um, and you know, I was in the dining room on a Friday night at 8 PM and I just, I saw the shadow people and I threw this steak on the floor and the plate shattered and flew everywhere. And I remember after that running outside and calling my, you know, boyfriend at Mm -hmm. the time and saying, I need you to come here because I need more drugs. Right. Wow. Um, and of course he came, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. then after that, my boss pulled me aside mm-hmm. and was like, we're going to have a meeting on Monday. Mm-hmm. And he was like, Kara, we're going to fire you or you can go to rehab. What do you want to do? Wow. And you know, when you're like in it mm-hmm. and you're not ready to stop, mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, you just made my life so much easier. Obviously I'm just going to quit. Like, yeah, right. you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's so crazy to be like here, either we can help you. Or we can fire you. And you're like, oh, fire me. (laughs) That's an easy choice. Uh Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. And it's like, um, you know, when you're in the in the fire of it, it's like that becomes your best friend, Mm -hmm. your your lover. Mm -hmm. Right. The thing that gets you through the day, your solution. Mm -hmm. Right. I had lots of those Mm -hmm. different solutions Mm -hmm. at the time. Um, And I feel like that is really 
I mean, there's been so many situations where I'm like, whoa, okay, that's when it took off. That's when it Mm. took off. But I mean, it's a progressive disease, Right. right? And so it's like at this point, I had dropped out of college. You know, I had tried to take classes at um, Bunker Hill in Boston, and I just couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. I couldn't do it, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like, how am I supposed to make a, you know, a 10 a.m. and then Mm -hmm. a 12, you know, and then a 1 and then a 2 and a 3 class when I can't stop using? Yeah. Um, And so at that point, I had no obligations, right? Um, And that is a really kind of scary Mm -hmm. place to be in. Um, And at that point... You know, I hadn't been home for like two years, right? And it was really, really easy to conceal how bad mm-hmm. my drinking, my drug use had got because I lived in Boston. My family lived on Cape Cod, right? It's like an hour away, mm-hmm. you know? All I got to do is say things are great. I'm working a lot. I'm going to school. Like everything's good, you know? Yeah. So it's like that mask again um, that we put on in active addiction and sometimes in sobriety, right? Um, I feel like that is not often talked Mm -hmm. about enough. Um, And so at that point, I mean, I was using every day. Um, I didn't really share a whole lot about it, but I was like big, big, big into the rave scene. Um, I just love that, like... I mean, I shared it a little bit about Rise, but I love the I love house music. I love that feeling of, you know, it was kind of like a false sense at the time, but like mm-hmm. of being free, mm-hmm. right? It's like, um, you know, like the first rave I went to, I just felt that freedom again, mm-hmm. right? And I feel like it's it's kind of like when you're um, in active addiction, you, you continue to seek that first feeling. So that first time I drank and I felt that aha, it's like the first time mm-hmm. that I did Molly, I mm-hmm. felt that aha, yeah. right? And so yeah. on and so forth. And it's like the whole time I just kept seeking that feeling of like freedom, whatever mm-hmm. that was, right? Um, and so at the time, like, like I said, no obligations um, at all. And, um, you know, I was, I started, you know, selling drugs, right, Mm -hmm. obviously, because my partner was Mm -hmm. doing that. So it's normalized. Whatever you're around becomes normalized. Right. Um, And obviously, I needed to pay for rent. I had to sort of eat. I wasn't really Mm -hmm. big into eating at the time, (laughs) but. (laughs) I'm laughing because I can relate. So. Yeah, it's like normal, like hygienic things, right? right? Like, well, who has time for a shower? Right. Who has time to, you know, make some ramen noodle or something Mm -hmm. like that? Well, right. I mean, when you have to choose what you're going to spend your money on, Mm -hmm. food isn't usually at the top of the list, Mm -hmm. you know? That's so awful, but it's it's true, Mm -hmm. you know? It is true. It's very true. And... You know, like I, there had been consequences before all of this too, right? Like, and sorry if I'm jumping all over the place. It's just, it's hard to sum up Mm -hmm. everything, right, right? Um, that has happened throughout the years. But um, there had been a time where I, I got really good at running from the police. Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's really good. I got really good at scaling fences too. I'm really, Ah. honestly, I'm still a little prideful about that one. Um, Because that would be yeah. the first one to be over the fence, and I'd be like, see you later, guys. You know, <laughs> Good luck. You're going to get taken down before me. Um, 
So, you know, I had been arrested. Um, I had quite a bit of um, minor with possession, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and I think the funniest thing, too, it's, it's before I moved to Boston, but my family was out of town on business. My dad was out on the boat. Um, and my brother, he joined the military, thinking mm. that that would kind of, like, fix mm-hmm. his drug problem. Right. And um, the one thing that they said to me was, Kara, don't get arrested. Nobody's going to be there to bail you out. What did Kara do? Kara went and got arrested. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah. I, we got pulled over, and uh, my friend got a DUI, and obviously I was underage, and so I got charged with minor in possession. And I remember I tried to run. I, tr- I was like, it was in a 7-Eleven parking lot, and uh, I was like, oh, yeah. I'm going to jump that fence back there. <laughs> you're like I know how to do that really well yeah and that was like my first time getting tackled by a police officer and put into cops yeah and I remember calling my family Hmm. and saying hey I'm so sorry but I'm actually in jail right now and I just heard click you know, and and so there was definitely, you know, before I moved to Boston, there was so much chaos, you know, so many different stories that I could think of that that just impacted my family so, so deeply. Right. And alcoholism is a selfish disease. Right. And so I really thought, you know, when I drive drunk and when I do these things and get arrested and put myself in these positions, it doesn't affect anyone else. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and. And what a sad thing that is, right? What a sad thing that is to be so sick that you think it only affects you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So um, just to kind of jump back a little bit, my and, and like I said, back in Boston, so my family had pretty much been like, you go to rehab or you get out. And that's why I ended up moving to Boston, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm like, no, I'm just going to go yeah. to Boston, right? Yeah. you know? Um, and... Back to living with my uh, my ex boyfriend at the time, um, I yeah I started to experience some really dark stuff. You know, um, I was like in and out of the hospital. Felt like I I just had no no control. You know, just like we hear all the time in the rooms, it's like that utter feeling of powerlessness, right? I started to realize that crap. this is a mess you know Mm -hmm. um the amount of jobs that I went through I went through like 15 jobs in probably a Mm -hmm. six-month period either got fired from all of them um or just didn't show up Mm -hmm. right I mean even when I was like babysitting kids at someone's gym like how would you hire me for that (laughs) I'm sorry that is not a good job (laughs) for somebody like me at the time yeah so um Yeah, went through so many different jobs um, and just in and out of the hospital. And I started to realize that this just like wasn't working. Um, But when you're young, it's like you kind of are like, you know, and you haven't seen a 12 step program Mm -hmm. or you haven't seen Mm -hmm. other people who know how to like survive life sober Mm -hmm. right like so I just felt like I was the only person in the whole world who just like couldn't do life like Mm -hmm. why can't I go to school why can't I keep a job why 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 me Mm -hmm. right um and so I think the one of the biggest tipping points um 
when I really, really started to realize that this was an issue was um, I started to make these resolves like I'm not going to I'm not going to drink. Right. I'm not going to do drugs. Um, And it's like alcoholism is so and drug addiction is so damn insidious. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's like I would tell myself this. I would wake up from a bender. Right. And I'd be like, okay, Kara, like this is it. This is it. Like, you can do this. You can do this today. Um, And then it's like, you know, within a few Mm -hmm. hours, we're just back at it again, Mm -hmm. you know? And so there was um, one specific night where I went to, uh, it was actually a Benny Benassi show. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Uh And I was like, you know what? I'm going to show everyone because I was Mm -hmm. so tired of everyone being like, God, you're a mess. Get out of my life. Like, what is your deal? Why can't you stop? You have all these things going for you. Just like the book talks about, it's like, uh, I mean, there's a part where it's like, she's such a pretty girl. You would think he would stop for her, (laughs) right? Like, it's kind of like, that's the stuff that people (laughs) were saying to me, right? Like, you're such a good person. Like, why do you do this? And that night, I, like, proved to myself, like, oh, my God, I didn't have to drink for the whole show. Uh, right? Mm-hmm. And it was that, that moment that we hear about where it's like, okay, maybe I'm good. Yeah. Maybe I'm good. And yeah. right after that, it's like a split second, and then I decided mm-hmm. to go to a penthouse party. <laughs> and and then, you know, so on and so forth. Yeah. And I'm drinking, you know, because I'm like, well, I proved to myself that mm-hmm. I'm good. Mm-hmm. And then this man was like feeding me drugs out of a bag. And I remember how... I mean, I love teetering on the line of death when I used. Like, I, that's the best way yes. to describe it. Yeah. Um, but this was, like, different. I remember, like, being in the bathroom and, like, touching my face and being like, crap, this, is, mm. this one's bad. This mm-hmm. one's real bad. Yeah. And then I didn't remember anything. And I came to, and I was in the hospital, mm. and they had cut off all my clothes, and I had IVs in me, and... Um, yeah, they had to resuscitate me a bunch of times. And pretty much the nurse came in and was like, you're a Jane Doe. We had no idea who you are. Mm -hmm. And we thought you were going to die. Everybody on this floor was praying for you. And I found out that the guy next to me actually died from a heroin overdose. And when I think about like higher purpose, right? Like I think about that, Mm -hmm. right? Like God has done for me what I could not do for myself. And when I say God, I mean, I believe that my God is like, it's like a woman. It's like kind of <laughs> like a goddess, yeah. right? I always say God because yeah. it's so, it's, it's, it's so weird to like try and put it into words. Right. right? Um, but I truly believe that God like did for me what I couldn't do for myself. Mm-hmm. Like was like, Carrie, you, you really have a higher purpose here. Mm-hmm. Like, um, because I should have been dead. Mm-hmm. I should have, like, I was dead. Mm-hmm. And and it's mm-hmm. crazy because, like, everybody talks about, like, when you die, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, did you see the white light? And it's like, I didn't remember any of it. Um, and I, and like I said, alcoholism is so insidious that, you know, for a split second, I was like, this is terrifying. And then I was like, Oh my God, they cut off my onesie. Oh my God, why would they do that? <laughs> right? Because I was like, I looked so cute last night. And I started freaking out and I was like, give me clothes, Mm. give me something. I got to get out of here. And I was ripping the IVs out, 
throwing a fit, mm-hmm. just, you know, they had like a security guard outside of the room and they gave me these like big clothes. <laughs> walk out of the hospital you know and and in this area of boston it was not a good area Mm -hmm. right and i walk out and a guy's like do you want something you look like you need something and it's like off to the races again right Mm -hmm. so then you know fast forward a little bit how how old were you when that had happened i believe i had just turned 21 okay so then fast forward a little bit you know, what was in, in AA, we call it, you know, gift of desperation, sort of where you do get to that point. Like what, what was your rock bottom or like the tipping point for you? Yeah, I think it was like kind of a prolonged thing, Mm -hmm. right? Because after that, um, I had realized that this was, this was an issue. Was I ready to mm-hmm. stop? No. Right. But this was definitely an issue. And um, there was, I mean, it was a full year of me being in and out of the rooms, in and out, in and out. And um, it's really amazing to look at it, how many people really, really tried to help me mm-hmm. during that time. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I was in the process of breaking away from like that ex-boyfriend mm-hmm. over and over again, of course, because it's like the cycle of abuse, right? Like I'd been beaten so down by my own addiction mm-hmm. and also this person that it's like a dependency, right? Just like a dependency to alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at that point, we hadn't been living together. Um, I was homeless. I was couch surfing, really just staying wherever I could, right? Even if that meant meeting somebody, like a girl out at a club, right? And, you know, let's hang out and party more at your house and, like, use her to stay on her couch, right? Um, And so I had a job and I was working at a restaurant and it was pretty crazy because the woman there was actually in recovery that owned it. Um, and there was a lot of people in recovery that worked there. And so that was kind of like the beginning, right. Of, of me, like stepping into the rooms, like Mm -hmm. this woman pulled me aside and was like, you're not okay. This is what I see. Have Mm -hmm. you tried something different? And of course, I mean, I was in pain, but like I said, I wasn't ready. And so I was like, well, yeah, I mean, what's what's the worst? I'll check it out. And so I started like dipping my feet into NA. Um, mm-hmm. I found that I took more hostages in NA. Um, and it's interesting because it's almost like once you realize there's a problem that the progression still continues, but you're like not ready. Like if you're mm-hmm. not ready to stop, it's so interesting. And so it got darker and it got darker, mm-hmm. right? Because I kept meeting these people who maybe were a little bit harder than me Mm. um and over a period of time that's like really what it looked like it was just in and out me trying trying this and really just not being able to be honest with my innermost self that like I wasn't ready fully to make a change yet even though the pain was great and I remember I went to an AA meeting and um it was so freaking scary um the meetings in boston are huge i'm sure like california Mm -hmm. um and there was probably like i don't know like 300 people at this meeting and it was like an old school meeting right so it's like an hour and a half you Mm -hmm. get a smoke break to mingle (laughs) and like talk to people and um i went to this meeting sat against the wall they were 
pulling people up randomly to speak at the podium. So I was like laying against the wall and I heard everybody talking about God again. And I just, I just wasn't there, you know? And, and so it was this repetitive cycle of me using, not wanting to use things getting worse. Um, and like, continuing to get worse and um before I got sober my my cousin had allowed me to stay with her um because she she like is in recovery and knew that there was a problem and you know even she couldn't help me right Mm -hmm. like we're beyond human aid and Mm -hmm. she was like you do these things you don't drink or drug in the house and it's like what was I doing I was drinking or drugging in the Mm -hmm. house and I think back to what you're saying like the I mean, I feel like I had to explain all that because that was just like the purgatory that got me to Mm. the gift of desperation, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And the biggest, I think, like you said, the gift of desperation really for me was um, I went on a bender. um, I had gotten into a fight. I love to fight. I have very bad track record with fighting, um, especially men. Um, but I had gotten into a fight with this girl. She poked me in the eye with her fake nail. Um, you know, being like trying to focus on, I know it's hilarious. (laughs) Being in a survival (laughs) state of mode. Um, like my focus wasn't, I'm going to go to the ER. So my eyes swelled shut. Finally, you know, one of my like little street friends got me to go to the emergency room. So at this point, like I had an eye patch on. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Talk about incomprehensible demoralization. Best yeah. way <clears throat> to describe yeah. it, right? <laughs> um, so I had an eye patch on. Um, you know, same thing. Done the resolve. Like I'm not gonna drink mm-hmm. tonight. Gone on a bender, right? In and out of bars that opened that had the old liquor license that started serving alcohol at like 8 a.m. in Boston. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and the end, it was like I owed somebody a lot of money for mm-hmm. that weekend or a week or whatever it was. I don't know. It's kind of like a black hole. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had woken up at my ex-boyfriend's house um, and pretty much we, we had a protection order. Like there mm-hmm. was um, a lot of cases that had been reported and then picked up by the state. Um, and I was the victim. So I woke up at his house um and I had like you know my nasty clothes on that I'd been wearing for however long I never had shoes for some reason I always lost my shoes um wanting to be one with the earth I don't freaking know (laughs) um so I didn't have shoes and I woke up and he was like you need to get out of my house you have a problem and in that moment I was just like wow okay yeah this is this is like this is a pretty big low and it wasn't my lowest by any means but it was like that feeling of like what am I doing Mm -hmm. right and I remember leaving his house and he lived in Chelsea in Boston which is I mean it's gentrified now but it was Mm -hmm. like the hood Mm -hmm. um and walking up the street with no shoes on um no money Mm -hmm. at all and to get out of Chelsea, you had to, like, get on the bus to then get on the T to get into, like, the inner city. And then I lived out, well, like, I was staying with my cousin, sort of, not really, right, out in Dorchester. And, you know, I had known that she was going to kick me out, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that was that was it. Like, mm-hmm. I really, yeah. I really screwed that up. You know, you can't go missing for mm-hmm. that long. Um, 
And so she uh, she kicked me out, right? All my stuff was, like, out on the street pretty much. like. And I begged to get on the bus and then begged to get on the T. And while I was on the T, I, I mean, it was early in the morning, and I was looking around at all of these people with, like, briefcases and, like, going to work. And, mm-hmm. you know, I remember there was somebody on the phone, and it was, like, she maybe talking to, like, a family member or a partner, and she was, like, laughing and looked happy. And in that moment, I just, I, like, sur- like total mm-hmm. surrender, right? Like, I just knew I was, that was it. Mm-hmm. I knew that was it. Right. And I like looked up and the best way that I can say it is I feel like it's like kind of like God came down and like put a hand on my shoulder and was like, it's okay to like not be okay and to like give up. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, please, whatever is there, please help me. Like I'm, I'm, I'm going to die. Like I'm going to die. This is it. And I don't want to die. And that was the first time I didn't want to die. Right. Like I had always been like, I'm going to jump off a bridge at 30 if I'm Mm -hmm. still alive. Right. Right. Like there's no way I'm going to be around that long. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think to what you said, like that was the moment for me. And my dad had been in recovery at this point for quite a few years and I knew exactly who to call. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, got back to my cousin's house all my stuff was on the street um and I called him and was like hey and keeping in mind I didn't have a relationship with my family Mm -hmm. right and he was like are you licked and I was like yep Mm -hmm. can you come pick me up and he was like I can so Mm -hmm. that was pretty much the big tipping point right wow well that's an amazing journey and thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing that um it's a lot to process and it's it's pretty incredible um there's a lot of things that stuck out um for me your your story just resonates so much with me I think we're very similar (laughs) the no shoes thing was definitely uh one of my um quirks I guess you could call it when I was drinking I also lost my shoes all the time um and then the fighting men that was also a big thing it was like whoever I could pick a fight with and like start Mm -hmm. an argument with especially guys like Mm -hmm. that was not fun um but yeah there's, there's just there's a lot of similarities in it um and that point of surrender like you were talking about I know in last week's episode we talked about you know surrender and just that point of where you get like oh my god I can't do this anymore like this isn't working it's not going to keep working like I'm I'm done you know and um and like you said like where it was like it's okay to give up you know and also I think the most amazing part of that is that you you know had the humility to then ask for help right because it's like you get to that point where you realize you can't do it on your own and it takes so much humility to just say like okay I know who I can ask and I'm gonna do it because I I can't do this on my own anymore so I think that's such a beautiful thing to point out and I think that's you know such a common thread in so many people who do you know uh you know, make it into sobriety and stuff is just like getting to that point. Um, so, you know, that was a really amazing, um, description of what it was like. 
So you've been sober for seven years now. Mm-hmm. Um, what, and obviously you can't summarize seven years into, <laughs> you know, an hour podcast, but what is it like for you now? Like what have been some highlights? Like, you know, I think there's a, um, maybe sort of a misconception that once you get sober, everything's like, you know, butterflies and rainbows and like perfect and all your problems are gone, which, you know, is not the case, but it's such a beautiful way to live compared to living in that constant pain and misery. So what are some things for you that have stuck out as, you know, some highlights of your sobriety and also maybe some low points that you have overcome? Mm. Yeah, that's a really um, great question. And there's a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Like you said, like seven years is, um, it's a long time. Like I never thought that I would get to live this life, Mm -hmm. right? And and I think that a lot of them are kind of like God shots, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Like when I was talking about like coming, coming in this time around, you know, and like one of the first times that, um, well, the first meeting I went to with my dad that day, there was this girl that I used to drink and drug with, mm-hmm. right, that I thought had died, um, mm-hmm. my friend Ashley, and she was at that meeting, and she had, she had like three, three or so months sober, and she was wow. like, welcome, right, and so mm-hmm. it's like my experience has been little moments um, of such like, you're okay, this is beautiful like just keep going um and it's like I've done I've gotten the ability to do things that I never ever thought I would be able to do right like I never thought that I would be able to go back to college and get a degree Mm. right Mm -hmm. like that is something that you know I I just didn't envision for myself Mm. like um and I think really like most of the highlights that I can think of um, is a gift of the program in a sense that like, you know, working a 12-step program, like I have a solution today. Um, And it's like I get to move through really hard stuff um, and still somehow find serenity and peace and feel like I don't need to control everything, right? And so it's like most of those experiences have been like the most beautiful for me I would say because it it goes back to that surrender moment Mm -hmm. it's just this this moment of just pure grace Mm -hmm. um and the ability to step almost like step out of my body in a way Mm -hmm. like I don't know if that makes sense um and just like be and Mm -hmm. be okay with being and like I never was okay with being right Mm -hmm. like my head was never quiet enough um and you know, like I said, going back to college, right? Like I've been through relationships, painful ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and in early sobriety, like I, you know, we're told to get a sponsor, right? Like get a home group, work mm-hmm. the steps. And, and some of the most beautiful moments were at my first home group, right? Mm-hmm. Like getting to share community and feel unconditional love um, is something that, I mean, it's not, I can't explain it, Mm -hmm. right? Like for somebody who just wanted love and had this hole, right? Mm -hmm. And to feel surrounded and loved um, through tough stuff, you know? Like I had to keep going to court Mm -hmm. against that boyfriend, Mm -hmm. right? Um, 
And, you know, there was a lot of stuff that came with that. And like my sponsor drove me, right? She went to court with me and was like, no, we bring God into this, right? We bring God into this room. Don't look at him. God is bigger than this, right? Like being able to move through some of that stuff with women, um, you know, and like losing a baby, right? Mm -hmm. In early sobriety and still like going to school, Mm -hmm. right? Like still being like, I'm going to keep going. Like God has a higher purpose for me. Um, and I don't know what it is, but I'm going to keep going, Mm -hmm. um, is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And, um, I think like getting to show up for my family, Mm -hmm. like, you know, um, being able to make amends to them, um, and have moments of like pure bliss, like have a relationship with my mother today that, I mean, when I got sober, my mom didn't even want anything to do with me. It took like, Mm -hmm. I would say like until I made an amends, which I was like a year sober Mm -hmm. for her to actually like understand, um, and like love me again. Right. Mm -hmm. Like not that she ever stopped loving me, but, um, and with that, we've gotten to like share so many like great Mm -hmm. and meaningful experiences, you know, and I've gotten to show up for her through like my brother's addiction and, you know, former relationship with my stepdad and, you know, um, like I said, just the community that I have, like I made the decision to move out to Colorado in 2017. Talk about like a trust fall, right? Like Mm -hmm. I had, I don't know, I had only a short period sober. Like I still feel like I'm new, Mm -hmm. right? Like I still feel like I'm (laughs) figuring it out. Yeah. Um, but like getting the opportunity to like move and like, you know, trust fall and like create a community out here and, you know, get to hike, like, and do all these beautiful beautiful things and like really figure out like who who is Kara mm-hmm. like who is Kara like my biggest thing this year is like been on the back of the coin like in meetings how you get a coin for your milestone of sobriety um and it's I mean on the back of the coin it says to thine self be true right and so that's been like a beautiful lesson for me right like I am me and that's okay. And like, I get to trust the process. Um, and I feel like as long as I continue to check myself, right, check my mm-hmm. ego, check my pride, um, and continue to like clean house. And when I say clean house, I mean, work the steps, mm-hmm. um, and be of service. Like I get to live this life of purpose and usefulness. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, really like that is the most beautiful thing. I think that I have been able to experience, mm-hmm. you know. That's amazing. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask you too was, so you talked a little bit about, you know, your conception of a higher power and you don't have to go into it into detail um, because I know that's personal to everybody else, but what would you say for somebody who is trying to figure things out or maybe not even in the program but is sort of looking to you know kind of improve their spiritual health like how does somebody get past that when they sort of have an aversion to the word god um Mm -hmm. you know maybe because of some uh unfortunate experiences with religion in the past or anything like that Mm -hmm. well i would say welcome right? (laughs) Like you are not alone. Mm -hmm. Um, that was honestly one of the biggest things that kept me out of the rooms, Mm -hmm. right? Because, you know, I got sent to Catholic school because I got expelled Mm -hmm. and like, 
you know, just like that fun stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then also like my experience with religion, it it was kind of like, well, why, why would I believe in God when we would go to church and then I would come home and I would see my dad drink and Mm -hmm. scream at my mom. Right. Like why, why would I believe in that? Right. Right. And, um, I mean, I think that really when you're ready, you will see that none of that matters um, in a sense, right? Because when I came in, I did not, I was an, I truly believe like I was an atheist, like from the Mm -hmm. book, right? Like I, me and God had beef. I wasn't into it, right? (laughs) But I was into the fact that you guys, and when I say you guys, um, the women of Alcoholics Anonymous were free. They were happy, right? And they told me it was a spiritual solution. And they told me to smash my old ideas of what God was. Mm -hmm. And I believed them because I was of the hopeless variety, Mm -hmm. right? And I was willing to do anything. And I think just like it talks about in the book, it's like we choose our own conception of God, right? Um, And that's what I love about this program. Literally, I knew a guy... (laughs) I knew a guy in Boston and his his conception of God was electricity. Mm. Right? He was like, dude, that lamp, <laughs> that lamp is something greater than me. Yeah. And it really I mean electricity yeah, it is. It's, it's true. It's energy. It's yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that over time, like all of that and seeing other people mm. and hearing what their explanation was really helped smash like those old ideas mm-hmm. of like you know, the guy with like the praying hand, like I think about the guy, the Jesus photo that was in my church when I was a kid. Right. And actually really funny because my brother actually stole that Jesus photo. Yes. (laughs) He's got a, he's got a good criminal record. Um, but, (laughs) but so it's like, I think really it's just about having an open mind, um, and continuing to have an open mind. And as time goes on, it shifts, it changes, right? Like my first higher power was the ocean, mm. right? Because it was bigger than me. And I felt most connected when I had my feet in the water, right? And I was focused on where my feet were. Um, and so, like I said, over time it shifts, right? So it's kind of like just staying the course. And my first sponsor always said, like, it's okay if you don't believe, believe that we believe. Mm-hmm. And that always stayed with me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah, that's been my experience too. I mean, I, I had a, um, you know, I'm fortunate in that I had a really good example of what God was, um, thanks to my mom, because she was a spiritual person. And so God was never, um, like, I, I also went to, you know, Sunday school and all that. And I remember I used to argue with the, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, um, the teacher guy because he would say that being gay was wrong and Mm. you know I think I was 14 or 15 I mean I would get drunk before these things it was called confirmation class that's what it was um and I would just the whole class I mean it'd take up the whole time just arguing with this guy but anyways so that was like my conception of like what the catholic church was and Mm. I feel very blessed in that I was like well that's not God, that's not the God that I believe in because I believe that, you know, there is something out there that helps me that's not this sort of, you know, uh, punishing sort of um, concept. And um, 
And yeah, so I think that's that's an amazing way. Thank you for sharing that. I think that really can help um, people get past sort of that idea of um, what God means. Um, yeah. I like love. I love that you said that too, because I mean that was like my experience, right? right? But in the end, it's like if these things work for these people, like I truly believe mm. we're all seeking. Uh, a higher self, a mm-hmm. spiritual connection, right. and like, how cool is it that we get to choose our own, mm-hmm. right? right? Even off of those experiences, yeah. you know, because I was like told, yeah, yeah, you know, like you're if yeah. you don't do confession, like you're going yeah. to hell, right. Kara, right? And you know, I pretty much middle fingers up, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, uh-uh, yeah. not today. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'll go to hell. It sounds yeah. better than that. Right. Like, <laughs> but. But, like, to what, what I said, I mean, like, what a beautiful thing to, like, have all these different avenues, too, mm-hmm. to, like, work for people. And then right. also have this program, which disconnects us from that or connects us to mm-hmm. that if we choose. Right. 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 Yeah. And I think something you always say that I love is, like, even, you know, you said having an open mind is key. And then, you know, even if you're struggling to have an open mind about it, like asking for the willingness even if you don't know who or what you're praying to but just ask to be willing to be open to being able to find and discover like what that means for you so Mm -hmm. I love that Mm -hmm. um so I think that's where we'll wrap it up today that was an amazing amazing conversation and thank you for sharing all of that um what would be sort of one takeaway if, you know, at the end of this whole thing, if you want, um, if the listener were to take away one thing, what, what would that be for you? I think really, um, to what you said, it's like, have an open mind. Mm -hmm. When you have an open mind over time, your heart opens. And I truly believe that like love is bigger than all of the struggles that we go through, right? And um, it's like if you're having a hard time, like talk to somebody about it, right? Don't be afraid to be open and honest, um, no matter what it is, um, because like we've all gone through hard stuff, you know? And whether it's like mental health, trauma, um, you're struggling, like you can't figure out why you can't stop drinking or using or whatever whatever it is right like people go through stuff right and know that you're not alone Mm -hmm. um but really like having the open mind to be willing to make changes or even be honest right Mm -hmm. like just to be honest about whatever it is you know I think that that is truly like the most um the most important thing that I should say like um and it's like over time, all everything gets sorted out, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and if you are struggling with alcoholism or addiction, um, it's like don't worry about everything all at once, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, I've had to move through stuff through my sobriety that, you know, like at five years sober wanting to kill myself and then mm-hmm. having to get mental health help, right? Like, just know that you're like loved and, and you're not alone. Even if you don't have addiction, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. And we, we love you. We do. Mm, that's so beautiful. Thank you so much. Mm. Well, I think we'll, we'll wrap it up. Um, thank you so much, Kara. 
I'm so grateful to have you in my life and just I, I couldn't think of a better person to be our first guest on the podcast. So I appreciate you and I love you. I love you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. I feel honored to be able to share with you today and be on a podcast. Who would have thought? Yeah. <laughs> you got your first one out of the way. I now did. You can do anything. <laughs> yep. <sighs> okay. Well, thanks guys for listening and we will catch you next week. Bye. Bye guys. <laughs>